Dan Williams in his email that he sends out, preacher stuff email that he sends out. There was a question a few weeks ago, um, before you step into the pulpit, what do you think about? And different various preachers wrote in what they think about before they get up here, just, just, before, they, just before they get up here. And, and uh, I, I've often thought about it since that question was posed. I, did, I didn't write in, but uh, uh, I was sitting there thinking about it just now. Uh, I was thinking, strength, give me strength, because I'm tired. Last night, we stayed up too late, and I'm tired. So I always ask for strength. I always do. And then when I get up here, when I get up here, I look. I, I look for visitors. Uh, I look for, I have anchors. There's different people that are usually in the same spot all the time. And I look for you to make sure you're still there. <laughs> and uh, I look for you and I make sure that you're there and that I make eye contact with you. So uh, that's, that's, that's what I think about. Um, I want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge your thinking. I want to challenge your interpretation. I want to challenge your action. I want to challenge the way you live. This, in my estimation, is a meaty sermon. This, this, not a lot about this sermon is going to be a lot of milk. Okay, this is a, it's a pretty meaty sermon. I hope you'll try your best to stay engaged and not just hear me today, but dwell on these things for later as well. You see, uh, I tried to make this as Brady Bunch as I could. Today, we're going to talk about elders, of which we have six. But before you think this is a sermon for an audience of six, I want to challenge you to think again. And think about the now of our eldership and then the future of our eldership. As we examine the pattern, the responsibilities, the the qualifications of elders, put yourself in their shoes. Look at things from their perspective. Look at, try to look at things through their eyes. Walk a mile in their shoes, as the saying goes. And, and dream of who the elders are now and who the elders and elders' wives will be someday. You know, we've got a, we've got a uh, time capsule downstairs. We're supposed to open it in 50 years. I more than likely, 99% sure, won't be here. And neither will our elders who are here today. Who's going to be in this audience the elders, the elders' wives that step up and take on the challenge of being an elder? I challenge you today to understand the pattern. I challenge you today to see if you could live up to the responsibilities of being an elder or an elder's wife. I challenge you to meet the qualification and change your life so that you can do so. And today, I want you to think like a sheep. Like one of the flock. We must remember... We must always keep in mind 
that this is not our church. And these men on the screen, they are not the bosses. They're not the head of the church. It's the church of Christ. These men who lead us are not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. The Savior of the body, that's Jesus Christ, not the elders. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. The the headquarters of the church is in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. But the elders on earth have been charged with the spiritual oversight of the numerous various congregations that make up the universal church. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And each congregation is autonomous. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, which is a concise or easy way to say that the elders at Fountainhead do not oversee the congregation in Franklin, Kentucky, and vice versa. As part of this pattern, we always see a plurality of elders overseeing the local congregations in the Bible as we read the scriptures on elders. In in Paul's missionary journeys, elders are appointed in every church. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, the church in Jerusalem had elders. Acts chapter 15, verse 6, Paul called the Ephesian elders, Acts chapter 20, verse 17, together and charged them to be shepherds of the flock of which God made them overseers. Titus was commanded to stay on the island of Crete and appoint elders in every city. A plurality, a multiple, a more than one. This is God's pattern. For leadership in the church, despite what what the religious world that surrounds us would say, you may have come from or attend a place that has a pastor over a congregation. You may know of an unmarried man with no children who is called a, a youth pastor. A verse like 1 Timothy, if you would please turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, taken by itself out of context may be a reason why this practice is so prevalent. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, it begins one of the passages that describes the qualification, uh, qualifications of elders. N- notice the language, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Notice please any man, singular, a bishop, singular again. This language and at first glance seems to prove the point that, that one elder or one bishop is, is, is okay, but it fails to take into the context the, uh, the passage as, as a list of qualifications of an elder who serves with others. It doesn't use the context correctly. Notice too the language... I use and the Bible uses, you know, sometimes I take for granted the understanding of the name for the office of the earthly leaders of the church. I have used elder tonight, and that name is biblical. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. But as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the word bishop is used as well. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, overseer is the word that's used to describe This office, this job, some translations use pastor to describe the office of elder. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, 
Some translations use shepherd in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Elder, presbyters, bishops, overseers, shepherds, pastors. In God's word, they're, they're all the same office. Paul Sane wrote that elder and presbyter are used when age is considered. He said bishop or overseer, those words are used when work is considered. And shepherd or pastor is used when service is considered. I am not a pastor. I am not a pastor. I am not qualified. The term pastor is not used in the Bible in reference to a preacher or a teacher. I am not a shepherd. Now, could a pastor be a preacher or a teacher? Yes, yes. But I am not a shepherd, nor am I an overseer. I'm a preacher, and I am charged to preach the word, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, when folks want and don't want to hear it, shepherds and sheep alike. But I am not the boss of the church. She's the boss. I'm just kidding. I'm not the boss of the church. I remember Callie Hagan. She looked up, didn't she? When she was much younger. Callie, when you were much younger, you asked me, Are you the boss of the church? Do you remember doing that? You don't remember doing that? She was little. Are you the boss of the church? I said, No, baby, I'm not. I told her her daddy, as a deacon, was more in charge than I am. <laughs> I'm content as a sheep here at Fountainhead. In this congregation. Paul and Peter in Acts chapter 20 verse 28 and 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2. They, they challenged, they charged, they commanded the elders then and today to shepherd the flock. The concept of a shepherd is a perfect example of what an elder should be to a congregation. We read in these passages that shepherds rule the flock but they don't. Lord over them. We read a shepherd loves the flock. He leads the flock. A real shepherd with real sheep would make sure that the flock is fed with good pasture. Shepherds make sure the sheep have shelter in hard times. Shepherds see to the health of the sheep physically, spiritually, that they don't have sores and, and open wounds. Shepherds understand that to shepherd is an action verb. By the efforts of a shepherd, the sheep will have good spiritual food. A shepherd will know his sheep well. A shepherd will understand the strengths and the, the weaknesses of his sheep. He will lay down his life for his sheep. He will make sure that his sheep are, are not misled or not mistreated. A shepherd will stand ready to fight the wolves, even those among themselves. He will protect the sheep from the false teachers, from those without and, and those within, and defeat them using God's word and a backbone made of steel. Shepherds cannot be cowards. And whether facing an obvious false teacher or an unruly sheep, shepherds must unwaveringly stand on God's word. 
not move no matter how many sheep bleat. I'm so happy to say that I serve elders like this at Fountainhead. Our elders live up to their responsibilities. I will remind you, elders, to continue to have a vision. To continue to have a vision of the way things are now and the way things can be. It says in Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18, Without vision, the people perish. Elders, our elders, our future elders, shepherds everywhere. They need a vision. The ability to to look beyond. the, The ability to dream. And then develop realistic plans of of actions to to develop these these areas. And not just leave them as dreams. Notice please, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It's an often overlooked responsibility of leaders in the church. Speaking of, of unity and of Christ, Paul in verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now look, notice with me now. For for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, the the apostles, they've done their part. The the prophets, they've done their part. Evangelists and and teachers, they're, they're doing their part. They're working hard in the body of Christ. And so are many of our pastors trying to prepare God's people so that, as you see here, the body is unified. So we can sow and work and grow together in faith and knowledge. This responsibility falls right in line with the first qualification of an elder listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, if you'll turn back there. The first qualification of an elder is to desire the office or the position of a bishop. This means an elder will have a good attitude to begin with. And it's imperative to continue to desire the office and maintain a good attitude. This is hard to do sometimes, I'm sure, elders. I'm sure it's hard to do when... Times are good, it's, it's easy to be an elder, I'm sure, but when times are bad and tough, I'm sure there's sometimes you wish you were something else. This brings up a very big and important point about the qualifications of elders. The qualifications of elders don't have an expiration date. In other words, the elder may have desired the work, but now does not. And it's not like he has good days and bad days as an elder. To those who have lost their desire, all the days are bad. An elder may not have been a drunkard when he became an elder. But now that he's become an elder, he he may be a drunkard. Well, that would disqualify him. There is no expiration date on the qualifications. 
We find the qualifications of an elder, as I've stated, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But there, there's more information in, in Titus chapter 1. We can also see some, some references in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And surrounding these qualifications in, uh, in 1 Timothy, uh, also in 2 Timothy and in Titus, Paul writes of the antithesis, antithesis or, or the opposite, the, the, the opponent. He, he writes of the opponent to the elders as well. He writes of the wolf in sheep's clothing and those who masquerade as angels of light. He, he, he talks about the enemies of the elders in the church. You know, for every elder who desires a good work, I mean, look at the, look at the qualifications of an elder here. I've, for time's sake, combined Titus and Timothy. Paul writes, uh, you know, for every elder who desires this good work, 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, there are those who are worthless for any good work, Titus chapter 1 verse 16. For every blameless elder above reproach, Titus chapter 1 verse 5, there are those who bring reproach upon the church, Titus chapter 1 verse 11. For every sober-minded elder, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2, given to hospitality and and apt to teach, there are those who are without self-control. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 3, who upset houses, Titus chapter 1 verse 11, and subvert weak-willed women, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 6. They don't teach the gospel, but they teach another gospel, an ignorant gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. It, 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 it's interesting to note that these opposites of the elders are, are, are written right in conjunction with what a true elder should be. A great exercise is to look at the qualifications. I want you to actively participate in this, if you will, to look at the qualifications of an elder and see how how you stack up. How do you stack up to these qualifications? Some of you in this audience must be future elders. You must be future elders' wives. How do you compare and if you don't measure up, which, which one of these do you need to work on so that you do measure up? Do you desire the office? You know, I disagree with those who say that to desire the office shows a lack of humility. That's nonsense. It's a qualification. Do you want to be an elder or not? If you do, then let's make this known. You must desire the office. It's a qualification. Humility should serve you as an elder, but it shouldn't keep you from being one. False humility when you really want something, well, that's just dishonest. Be a man. Stand up. Desire the office. Looking at the, and and for sake of time, combining the qualifications of of a bishop from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, how, how do you compare? Which one's... Do you need to work on? You know, blameless to me is the hinge to all the rest. That's just, that's my opinion. It's, it's the hinge to all the rest. The, the elder must be blameless, above reproach. Brother David Posey, he writes that blameless means that no charge can be sustained against the man that would affect his character or reputation. And I'm not saying blameless is the most important qualification. I'm, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm saying it couples itself with the other qualifications. What I mean is, for example, are you greedy? 
I don't care how hard you're trying to overcome your greed. If you're seen as a greedy miser, well, it's true. You're not qualified because you're not blameless. Are you the husband of one wife? Are you a one-woman man? Are you vigilant? Are you watchful? Are you sober-minded? Are you clear-headed? Are you of good behavior? Do you and your wife like having people in your home? Can you teach in word and deed and example? Are you a drunkard? Could, you, could, could somebody perceive you as one? Do you have anger issues? Are you blameless in this area? Or with all the fights you've had, your reputation is, is forever tarnished in this town. Are you greedy? Are you patient? If you are greedy and not patient, what can you do to correct yourself and fix the perception that others have of you? What could you do? Be thinking about that. Why? Because we need leaders in the church. That's why. And these men are not going to be here forever. We need you. We need you to step up. In 50 years, when they open up that time capsule downstairs, who will have taken their place? We sheep need someone to rule us like they've done in their own house. How well do you rule your own house? Are your children faithful? Have they continued in the faith? Do you and your wife need to discuss having a second child or not? What does the scripture say? Let's have a mini lesson within the lesson. What do you say? This is where it gets really meaty. There's a lot of chewy parts to this. How many children should a pastor have? One or more than one? There are men on both sides of this issue who I greatly admire. But both cannot be right. And as Paul charged to Timothy without prejudice, without partiality, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. Verse 20. In the question of the number of children an elder, or for that matter, a deacon may have. It is important and imperative to stick with the Scriptures and not human opinion. There are different versions. There's the English Bible. There's the Greek text. But today we're going to stick with English only. But feel confident that the, the Greek original, it supports what will be read and said today. Before we come to an answer on the question of child or children, let's read the passages in question from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and Titus chapter 1, verse 6. From 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
beginning with verse 2 in the New King James Version. A bishop, singular, then must be, we read here, the qualifications of the office of all bishops. The, the word used is singular, but in context it's plural. A bishop. And every bishop who is to ever be a bishop, every, every elder who's to be an elder must be, and then the qualifications are listed. Look at verse 4. One and everyone who rules his own house well, having his, and this word his, is italicized in my Bible, meaning that the pronoun is supplied by the translator and it's not there in the original. But since the male pronoun has been used in the original, in the English text, verse 1, and we, and we know a husband is spoken of here, we, know, we understand that, which excludes women, okay? It, was, it excludes boys, okay? The translators, right or wrong, supplied us with the pronoun his. And then it says children, and that's plural in English. But the question... And it's a good one. And it's the hinge of the argument. Does children include child? Now before I answer, let's look at Titus chapter 1 verse 6. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, man, singular, husband, singular, one wife, singular, children, in English, it's plural. Now, let me answer. Using Scripture to do so. How does the Bible use this word? Well, according to the chart, it's going to be how we're going through the Bible. The chart on the screen. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to start at the beginning. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. And it says that Sarai was barren... She had no child. One parent is mentioned. The English singular is used for child. But the Greek translators of the Hebrew Bible use the same word that's used here for child. They use it in 1 Timothy as we've just read, chapter 3, verse 4. And they also use it in Titus chapter 1, verse 6. It's the same exact Word. That must be a fluke. Right? It must be a fluke. But the Bible I believe in and put my trust in has no flukes. God is not the author of confusion. Let's keep studying. Genesis chapter 16 verse 1. We're talking about the same woman, Abraham's wife, Sarah. And she's born him, look here now, no children. Same word as child. Same word that's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 and Titus chapter 1 verse 6. Wait a minute now. We understand Genesis chapter 16 verse 1 to say that she had not had any children. Not Isaac, not any children, not even one child. We understand it to mean that. 
two parents, but children here could mean one or more. Let's go to the New Testament. This is the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament, are we? We're charged with the New Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. The Sadducees were bringing up the law to Jesus from Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. And they asked, Teacher, Moses said that if a man, singular, if a man having no children, plural, if a man having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, if he dies, his brother shall marry his wife and raise offspring for his brother. Now, if they had one child, if they had one child, would the brother be obligated? Does children include child there? Or look over at Matthew 19, verse 29. Jesus speaks to, to all of us. He says this, he says, Everyone who has left houses, one or more, brothers, one or more, sisters, one or more, father, one, mother, one, wife, one, or children, one or more. Same word used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. Same word used in Titus chapter 1, verse 6. Or lands, one or more, for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But I don't have any brothers. All I've got is sisters, so I'm out of luck. I don't get to receive eternal life, do I? Because I don't have any brothers. Maybe you've only got one sister. Well, it says sisters, so you can't receive eternal life either. No, that's not what it means, is it? You have only one child. But it says children. So you don't get to receive eternal life, do you? Well, no, because children includes child. Moses wrote Genesis. Matthew wrote Matthew. How does Paul use the word? In other places besides 1 Timothy chapter 3, other places besides Titus chapter 1. Well, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents, but only if you come from a multiple child family. If you're a single, if you're, if you're an only child, you're not bound by this command. Because it says children, plural. No, that's not what it means. All children, one or more, all must obey their parents, right? Then it says, verse 4, Fathers, one or more, do not provoke your children, plural, to wrath. But if you've got one child, provoke away, right? If you've got one child, just go ahead and wear him out, right? No, that's not what that means. Children, when used by Paul, means one or more. Now, let's get a little closer. Let's dial it down. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. Same book. This passage is very important because it's in the same letter as the passage in question. The context is about honoring widows, true widows. Verse 3, honor widows, one or all. Honor Widows who are really widows, verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren. Now let's stop there. Must she have multiple children to be a true widow? 
Is the church charged with her if she only has one child? Let me ask you a question. If she has one child, should the church be charged with her? That's not what it's talking about. If she has one child or grandchild, that child should take care of their mama. That child should take care of their widowed father. That child should take care of their widowed grandmother. From this verse in verse 16, if a widow has even one child or grandchild, the church is not burdened with her. Widows, all, children, one or more, grandchildren, one or more. Let's dial it down even more and look at this same chapter. I know it seems like I'm beating a dead horse, but it's important. Let's dial this down and look at this same chapter in this this letter. Chapter 3, look at verse 12. Let deacons, plural, but standing for the whole office, be the husbands of one wife, ruling there, and that's supplied. That's in italics in my translation. The pronoun there is supplied. Ruling their children. Same word used in every passage we've just looked at. If in every other passage we have looked at, children could mean one or more, what does that say about 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4 and Titus chapter 1 and verse 6? Remember, God is not the author of confusion. What's the Bible say? Don't come up with your own opinions now. What does the Bible say? How does the Bible use the word? Let's stay with the Bible. The devil has gotten us to take our eye off the ball. We fuss about words. What we really should worry about is blameless. Is the man blameless? Being blameless as an elder, I've never been an elder. That must be hard to do, elders, to be, to be blameless when the sheep get crazy, when the sheep get spooked. That must be hard to do. You know, I want to preach a whole sermon one day on how we as the sheep should treat the shepherds. How do you treat the shepherds? I want to mention two things. I want to mention two things about our elders here at Fountainhead. They are found in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7. And how we should treat our elders. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17, I'm sorry. It says, obey those who rule over you. Obey, that's a command. Sheep, that's a command. We owe our elders our respect. We owe our elders our obedience. So many have a problem with authority. I'm sure those who have a problem with authority on their report card back in school, their teacher probably wrote, does not play well with others. I'm sure it's been an ongoing problem for a while. We must play well with others. We must be submissive. And to me, it's a joy to be submissive to my elders. 
We must not badmouth our elders in front of our children. If you're doing that, stop. We must teach our children to respect our elders. These men, they watch out for our souls. They fight many battles for us. They're, they're brave and they, they, deserve our, they deserve our submissive obedience. Church, we need to be an elder, deacon, and preacher factory. We need to teach how to follow the pattern set by God for church leadership and train responsible Christians to obtain the required qualifications to be an elder, to be a deacon, to fill these important roles in the church. Now, I said I was going to challenge you. How do you measure up? How do you measure up? How do you measure up to the office of an elder? You girls, how do you, how, how, could you be an elder's wife? Are you blameless? Well, if you're not, will prayer help? We will pray with you if you want. Will having your sins washed away help? Will that help you meet the qualifications of an elder? You know, you really, you, you, can't, you can't be a Christian until you're baptized into Jesus Christ. You can't be an elder until you're a Christian. So that may be the first step for you in making sure that you can be an elder or an elder's wife. It's the step that gets you into Christ and on your way to being a productive Christian. Whatever your needs, I want you to accept the challenge right now.